Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we'd like to end our time with a chaser. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. We love hearing from our listeners, so feel free to contact us by email or social media. You can find our contact info in the show notes for this episode. If you'd like to support us through Patreon, you can find us there at Brutal, Bazaar, and Boozy Podcast, or use the link in our show notes. <clears throat> Alrighty, Mom, what are you going to be telling us about today? Well, before I tell you what my story is, I want to uh, give a little shout out to another podcast, and that is the Audentity Podcast. It is your bi-weekly foray into the weird, wonky, and sometimes downright spooky. Join host Janine Mercer as she leads you down twisted pathways of history and tackles tales of the paranormal, weird historical people and practices, and so much more. The Audentity, I hope I'm saying that right, the Audentity podcast is a proud member of the Podmoth Media Network. It can be found on Twitter and Instagram at AudentityPod and is available wherever you binge your podcasts. And if you weren't quite sure if you heard it right, the link will be in our show notes. So go check them out. And to tell you the story is uh, the story I'm going to be talking about today is uh, a ghost town in Alaska. And it's Mm -hmm. uh, Portlock, Alaska. It was a canning and fishing community that... uh, Everybody abandoned one day because some bad things were happening. So hmm. what story are you going to be telling us about? I'm going to be talking about Brooke Wilberger. Berger. I'm going to go with Berger. Okay. That's what I heard someone pronounce it as. So that's what I'm okay. going with. And with a hard G. With, okay. Yeah. To go with that story, I've got the Beaver Shot Cocktail. It's not a shot, but not it's in a the shot. Name. I was worried. Yeah. Yes. So when you sent it the, to me, I was worried. Yeah, I, I could tell. So this drink is one and a half ounce of spiced rum. I use Kraken. Two me splashes too. of grenadine. I went pretty conservative. I just did one little pour. And then four ounces of pineapple juice. Shake all ingredients together in a shaker with ice and strain into a glass. Ready to give this a try? I'm ready. Let's go. It's okay. It's not bad. It's not bad. I I don't know if I'd drink it again, but it's I get the pineapple. Yeah, it's pretty much only pineapple (laughs) yeah but i mean it's not i'm not getting super um harsh rum because i'm not a huge rum fan and it's not very rummy it's more pineapple-y the kraken goes pretty well with it so i'm Mm -hmm. not i'm not too upset about it yeah i like it it's tasty about this brook wilberger 
and why I chose this drink. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. Brooke Wilberger was working with her sister in Corvallis, Oregon, while on summer break from BYU. Since her boyfriend was going on a mission to Venezuela for the summer, Brooke decided to head to Corvallis and save up some money for her sophomore year of college. Brooke was helping her sister with cleaning of the property, and on the morning of May 24, 2004, Brooke was cleaning a lamppost at the Oak Park apartment complex, which her sister owned at the time. And the one of the reasons I wanted to do this case is because the Oak Park apartment complex is a block away from my house. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. It's, and creepy. It's I mean, really I don't know the story nuts. yet, but I know that I'm doing a bizarre story. So yours is going to be brutal, which means that something bad happened to Brooke or maybe her sister. Yeah. I'm guessing it's Brooke. Yeah. So, her sister stopped by the property to see how she was doing. She looked around the property. However, the only sign of her sister were the pink flip-flops she was wearing that morning. They were laying on the ground near the lamppost. (gasps) Oh. Brooke Wilberger was born in Fresno, California on February 20th, 1985 to Greg and Cami Wilberger. She had three sisters and two brothers. Her and her family were devout members of the Church of the Latter-day Saints. After Brooke's flip-flops were discovered, the police were called. After arriving and talking with Brooke's sister, police took an unusual approach and started searching immediately. Corvallis' police department's standard rule of thumb is to wait 24 hours before starting a missing person report for adults. However, both Brooke's family and the police decided that this was highly unusual behavior for Brooke. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I I think that's a pretty good approach. They all took their own liberty and yeah. said this she wouldn't do this type of thing. So, And who's leaving their flip-flop behind? Yeah. And in the middle of a hot day, you're not gonna, it's going to yeah. be really tough to like walk on the sidewalks yeah. and stuff. No. Police started their search in the Corvallis branch of the uh, Latter-day Saints had recruited a bunch of people from the community to help with the search. However, nothing was discovered. Since, since the search didn't uncover anything, the police started with their number one person of interest, Sung Koo Kim. Kim had posted bail five days before Brooke's disappearance, and the crimes he was arrested for were super fucking weird. Uh-oh. On April 14th, 2004, Kim had the police called on him after he was caught searching through a dryer at an all-women's laundry room in University in Newburgh, Oregon. Ew. Yeah. The person who called the cops followed him to his car and uh, re- like reported the make and model to the police. Three weeks later, a search warrant was issued for Kim's apartment, where detectives discovered some disturbing evidence first thing found were 12 suitcases backpacks and boxes full of 
3,400 pairs of panties <gasps> and bras, some being soiled. Oh, wow. That's so many. <laughs> yeah. I knew it wasn't going to be good when you said 12 suitcases. Who has 12 <laughs> bags? Yeah. Holy. Not me. I don't have that many. No. I have a backpack and a suitcase. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, gross. However, the stop didn't stop. Ooh. However, their search didn't stop there. Police discovered used toilet paper, tampon applicators, bloody panty liners, dryer lint, and human hair in like stored in little Ziploc bags. Oh, oh yeah. okay. So they they found all this stuff before Brooke disappeared. So they're mm-hmm. going, okay, what kind of weirdos are in the area that could have done something shady and this guy popped? Yeah. And he had so gotten out ma- of jail. Oh. A majority of the panties had dates and names on them, such as OSU Swim Apartment. So that's oh. kind of what, what led them to believe that he could be involved because – OSU is in Corvallis, which is like a yeah. block away from the Oak Apartments. Yeah, so, real close. Also, that's why I picked the beaver shot because the OSU mascot is a beaver. Right. Oregon State University. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Kim told police that he had bought the underwear online, which prompted authorities to seize his computer. There they discovered 40,000 images of snuff porn. I'm not going to go into detail, <gasps> but there was a lot of fucked up shit on there. Oh, gross. And 40,000 of anything is... A lot. That's a, too much. A lot. <laughs> That's yeah, of anything. I mean, I don't think there's 40,000 cat videos that could be found on my phone <laughs> or computer. And I love cat videos, so... Yeah. <sighs> Really rough. Gross. I wonder what period of time that was over. I I don't know. It had to be over like a couple of years. <laughs> I would hope so. Ugh. Okay. Go ahead. They also found a computer document entitled OSU that Benton County Deputy DA, uh, names Haroldson, later called a list of horrific torture steps that led to a murder, followed by a list of supplies to bring along. So this was their number one thing pointing like this guy is a fucking yeah. issue. Oh. Yeah. So that was also prepared in March, just two months before Wilberger disappeared. Okay. So it's pretty convincing. If someone if I yeah. saw that evidence, I'd be like, Yeah, this guy probably fucking did it. Yeah. While most of it while most of us would think this is Extremely damning evidence in Brooke's case, Kim had an alibi. On the computer that they searched, they uh, he had records of him trading stocks at the exact time Brooke uh, disappeared. So, mm. it couldn't have been him because he was Shit. in his house trading stocks, trading stocks at that time. Kim was sentenced to 11 years separately from, book, uh, from Brooke's case, but I believe he got out in 2013 
so that was like for being a creeper and a thief uh, and yeah i believe it was for um theft like mostly yeah because he had all those panties and stuff but right i don't know i didn't look too much into what he got sentenced to because he i, I knew he was do it. not who did it while yeah. i was researching so on a side note i'm curious because in oregon uh degrees of theft are based on the amount of money or the value of something stolen so i wonder if 3,400 pairs of underwear constitute a felony, well, aren't which would be over $750. They can be. Yeah. I mean, Victoria's Secret, so, you're looking at 20 to $25 a pair if you buy them when they're not on sale. I'd say that's probably close to like... I would think that's felony charges. But yeah, it's probably like I 60 grand worth of shit. He God. I'm bad at math That's though. I don't, maybe that number's off, but even at a med- dollar a pair, he had 3,400 pairs. If you bought him a dollar a pair, okay. Anyway, okay. Carry on. Sorry, didn't mean to sidetrack us. <laughs> on November 30th, 2004, an exchange student at the University of New Mexico reported that she had been abducted, sexually assaulted, and beaten. The number one suspect for that case was Joel Patrick Courtney, who was sentenced to 18 years for his crime after sitting on trial for three years. Did you say that was New Mexico? Yes. Okay. So, while in custody, Corvallis police took interest in this case due to its similarities to Brooks' case and the fact that he had been spotted uh, at he'd been spotted at OSU by OSU staff. They saw his green van. Okay. On the day that Brooks went missing. Yeah. And so it's a van. So they called in that uh, OSU staff who looked at a picture lineup and identified him as the guy, Joel Courtney. Okay. So after this, detectives searched Joel searched Joel's van and discovered uh Brooks DNA all over it. So Okay. Yeah. Pretty pretty good evidence good on evidence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Joel was extradited to Oregon and when prosecutors spoke with him, they took uh they told him they were pursuing the death penalty. And after he heard that, he just told him everything. Cracked. Yeah. Wow. Joel claimed he spotted Brooke, shoved her in his van, and bound her and took off. He drove to the woods outside of town where he sexually assaulted her and beat her. He left her in the van while he drove into town to grab McDonald's before returning to the spot where he assaulted her. So he had her in the car while going through the drive through What a piece of garbage. Yeah. He's a jerk. He kept her alive throughout the night before sexually assaulting her the next morning. He then bludgeoned her to death when she tried to fight him off. Oh. On September 21st, 2009, Courtney pled guilty to aggravated murder, the only crime subject to capital punishment in Oregon. And he was in prison to, uh, he was sentenced to a life in prison. 
without possibility of parole. Okay. By the terms of the plea deal, Courtney was spared the possibility of the death penalty. Prosecutors dropped the remaining counts against him, and Oregon officials promised to try and keep Courtney incarcerated in New Mexico, his home state, for the duration of his sentence. So he's serving life in uh, Arizona. New Mexico. Why? Or, yeah, sorry. Why? Sorry, New Mexico. I don't Why know. let him I live in New Mexico? he admitted everything. Uh, well, that's true. He's still in jail. It doesn't it matter. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but he can have visitors is what I was thinking. Like, put him somewhere that it's going to be difficult for people to go hang out with him, you know? True. Oh, I don't know. Maybe New Mexico's a jail. Maybe the prisons in New Mexico are shitty. I have no idea. Well, Put him somewhere that's not good. Because it costs someone in Oregon money if he's jailed there. So, good point. Good point. Pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. What an icky creep. Yeah. The fact that it happens so close to me is crazy. I know. I. It's crazy. Uh, I mean it. It happened and your 20 neighborhood, years ago. I know your neighborhood is so like chill and quiet and. And Corvallis is like, I mean, we do have crime here, but it's mostly just theft. We have like one of the lowest violent crime rates in Oregon. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah. But remember from a previous chaser, you guys are like one of the highest rated drunk cities in Oregon. Yeah, we like to party. We don't like to kill people. <laughs> <laughs> like to party and steal stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but who doesn't? Joking. True. Joking. That's I don't most I party, I don't college, steal stuff. College kids love getting drunk and stealing like construction signs. <laughs> Good point. Roadwork signs. Yep. Yep. All right, so tell me about your brutal ghost town. Sorry, okay, sorry. Yeah, bizarre. Yes. So sorry, everyone. I'm. I just woke up, so that's why I can't talk yet. We're already drinking. It's. it's no, we are already drinking. It's early, but you know, hey, it's not a work day. It's fine. Day drinking is allowed. We're adults. True. Okay, so. My story is about a town in Alaska. Alaska has many remote communities, often separated by either water, snow, or both. Portlock was one of those communities, once a town for cannery and mining employees that often lived there for work seasons. So they weren't living there necessarily all of the time, all year long. A lot of times they would come in and it would just be during the work season. What is People a seem cannery? To Where they like can the fish that they catch because oh, it's right oh, on the okay. water. Yeah. Okay. People seemed to enjoy living in the town until bad things started happening. Then they began moving away to save themselves and their families. Portlock is a ghost town on the Kenai Peninsula of Alaska. 
The name of the town is believed to have originated from a British ship captain who sailed there in the late 1700s. His name was Nathaniel Portlock. It grew to a larger town in the early 1900s. It developed into a cannery town where they processed mostly salmon. Many of the residents were temporary and there for seasonal work in the cannery. One of the significant changes to occur was the establishment of the U.S. Post Office in 1921. Sadly, the town would not flourish and residents started to flee in the 1900s. Residents weren't leaving due to lack of employment or better opportunities in other communities, which is pretty common in smaller towns. I think we're a small town. Klamath is a small town, so, you know, a lot of people run away from here. But that's not what happened in Portlock. They were leaving the area because mysterious and tragic things were happening. People from the town were going missing. Some of them were turning up brutally killed and dismembered. Yeah. One of the first occurrences reported was in 1905. Mysterious things happened and there were reports that something was bothering the workers. The cannery workers just up and left due to this, but they returned the next season. So basically some bad things started happening and everybody that worked at the cannery said, we're not dealing with this shit. And they left before the season was over, but they came back the next season. Whatever it was that was harassing people continued and the mysterious events continued, making people fearful. Reports at the time seemed to be centered around a harassment type situation and people that were going missing. The first reported mysterious death occurred in 1931. The victim was a man chopping wood. He was outside of his cabin chopping some wood to keep warm. He was found murdered but apparently by a single blow, like of the axe. Mm. Witnesses believe the blow was stronger than what a human could have done. So. Mm. His big foot. Maybe. Potentially, yes. (laughs) That is the question. There were additional mysterious reports of a potential monster in the woods. One day, a hunting group went out looking for moose. They were surprised to see their group weren't the only ones tracking the moose. They found giant human-like footprints that were over 18 inches long. And they were also tracking the same moose. That's a big, that's a big footprint. You got basketball player out there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Size 18 shoes. Yep. They soon came across an area covered in blood and it looked like there had been a battle, but there was no moose. So they're walking through the woods and there's blood everywhere, but the moose is gone. Those Mm. large footprints headed off into the woods from the bloody scene. Whoever or whatever had killed a moose seemed to have taken it with them. Similar reports started occurring more frequently. Another reported incident occurred on the banks of the water. A resident came out to see what he described as a huge hairy man destroying fish wheels. So I think fish wheels are like a method to catch fish and a huge hairy man was smashing them. Hmm. The men 
The man went inside to get his gun, and when he returned, the hairy vandal was just standing there staring at him. And then it walked away. That's fucking scary. Yeah. Locals were referring to the sightings as half man, half beast. The reports of strange things and people and missing people were definitely unnerving, but the real concern came when bodies started showing up. Unfortunately, those bodies were mutilated and dismembered, and they started washing ashore in the lagoon. It seemed like they may have come downriver from the mountains and been deposited in the lagoon. So there's multiple rivers that empty into this lagoon, and they think that that's where the body parts were coming from, was up higher. The what, damaged what year the- was this? Uh, it was in the, like the early 30s, 1930s. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The damage to the bodies was more severe and different than what would have occurred from a bear or another animal. This was the last drop for many residents. They were already scared from the mysterious reports, but now seeing the br- brutal attacks caused a panic for some and many people left town. In 1949, most of the residents left their homes and jobs to live elsewhere. The only one left for a year was the postmaster, who closed the post office in 1950. The bizarre reports, missing people, and murders plagued the town for about 50 years before everyone gave up. Now the town remains basically as a ghost town, with very few inhabitants. Even though the town essentially dissolved, the stories continued. In the 1970s, a fishing camp or a fishing group was forced to stay in the town due to a storm. They reported seeing something strange walk through their camp on two feet. So not likely a bear. I mean, bear are known to walk on two feet, but they didn't say it was a bear. They said it was something strange. Anyway, it terrified them and they left as soon as they could. There are some occasional visitors to Portlock, but it basically remains a ghost town to this day. But nobody really knows what happened to everybody or why or how. Sounds like Bigfoot to me. Based on the descriptions. sightings. Yeah. Like something bigger than a bear killing people. Mm -hmm. Man-shaped. Hairy. Large foot impressions in the ground. No, thank you. Yeah. I'll call that a Bigfoot. So, yep. I think that's kind of the standing theory as to what it was. Well, do you have a chaser for us? I do have a chaser, and it is... Similar in uh, genre and that it is a wildlife safety post that was um, made. It was a poster made by the National Park Service. And it's to encourage people to be safe around wild animals. (laughs) But it's really funny because... They show like it's titled wildlife safety 
on the left-hand side is the stuff that you shouldn't do, like try to pet a squirrel, try to take a selfie with a bear, try to walk up to a moose, and walk up to a buffalo. And then it shows what could happen to you and what would be a better choice. So it's really funny. I'm going to include a clip in our Instagram about the pictures, like the one with the buffalo. It says, why would you walk up to a buffalo? And then the buffalo chase you and it says, good luck. (laughs) I love those videos of like tourists in Yellowstone trying to take a picture with a buffalo and they get like flung in the air. Yeah. It's fucking funny. Yeah. When we went to Yellowstone, there were there were buffalo everywhere. And we had to pull off to the side of the road one day because there was a whole a herd of buffalo walking down the road. And some genius was standing outside of his car trying to take pictures of them as they walked by. Instead of just being in his car, he was out the door standing in the road. And we were just waiting to see if he was going to get thrown mauled run over something you know it's like the dumbass version of running with the bulls (laughs) running from the bulls yeah running from the the, bison it's the yellowstone version yeah what chaser do you have today so as of today uh this recording this on the fourth of july and tom segura's new comedy special came out today Nice. I watched it already, and it's really fucking funny. Nice. I'll have to check it out. Sledgehammer. It's on Netflix, and he's one of my favorite comedians. So when I heard that he was posting a new special, I got excited and I waited till midnight to watch it. (laughs) Nice. That's awesome. So it was pretty good, huh? Yeah. I recommend everyone watch it if you like comedy. And it's not like... Definitely. I mean, Tom Scare is not a clean comic, but it's not bad. It's not like raunchy or anything. I like his stuff, so I definitely want to go check it out. He's really funny. Well, I think that just about wrapped us up. It does. I enjoyed hearing about your... I'm going to call it a Bigfoot story. That's what it sounds like to me. Okay. Not a ghost town. I think... Yeah, <laughs> I think it was. I think it's Bigfoot's town now. Yep. They should just rename it. Yeah. All right. Love you, Mom. All right. Love you, too. Bye. Bye. Hey, friends. Thank you for supporting our podcast. Please share our show with your brutal and bizarre friends. Give us a boozy follow on your favorite podcast platform. If you're feeling extra generous, we'd appreciate a five-star rating or review as well. But maybe do that sober so all the letters are in the right place. You can find all our contact information in the show notes. We love hearing from you, and if you're interested in helping us stock the bar for our future boozy episodes, you can find our Patreon link in the show notes as well.